welcome. We are going to stand and worship together. So if you guys want to find your seats and then stand. <laughs> uh, we're going to sing a new song. So it's a good one. You might have heard it. Um, but it's just a song of just redemption and seeing what God has done for us looking back and um, just proclaiming that he's the God of victory. So we're going to sing this together. Sing, I won't forget. I won't forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance, the exodus of my heart. So you found me, you freed me, held back the waters from my release. Oh, Yahweh, you're the God who fights for me. you 
God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah. Let's remember him this morning. You're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we praise you this morning. We say hallelujah. For, for some of us, it's hard to just imagine what life was like without you. Not that we want to, God, but we're grateful for where you've brought us. We're grateful for your rescue. So God, as we have made the choice to be here to worship you, I pray that you would be lifted high, that you would be worshiped the way you deserve. So we ask for that ability, God, to truly give you our hearts in full surrender and worship. You are worthy to be praised, God. Would you open our hearts to your truth today? God, we seek you. I thank you for your promise that you'll be found. So we seek you, Lord. We love you. Have your way in this place today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, church. Great to see you all here. This is a hearty crowd coming out in this cold weather. I'm impressed. Well done. Way to be here. A um, couple of quick announcements uh, before we get started here uh, with the rest of our service. Um, just a couple of quick things. I uh, just want to remind you that prayer is available to you um, on Sunday mornings between 9.30 and 10 in the cry room right in the back of the sanctuary there. So you can sign up for that. Um, online, there's a sign-up genius on the website, and there's also, it comes in the weekly email. So uh, take, take advantage of that. Avail yourself to the prayer that is available in this church. And then we also meet on the third Monday of the month for prayer in the evening 
over in the coffee shop and you can sign up for times there. If you just need some, someone to pray over you, pray with you, we would love to uh, do that with you. Um, also want to mention the uh, women's Bible study is meeting this coming Saturday. They meet every other Saturday. So this coming Saturday, 9 a.m. in the coffee shop next door. You can talk to Andrea or Jane. Um, Andrea's in the back there. I don't see Jane in here. But um, yeah, talk to them if you're interested in coming to that. And also, um, I do have a few of these books left. These are the books that we're kind of encouraging you to go through as we go through the book of Romans. This is an, a high-level survey of the book of Romans by uh, Warren Wearsby. It's a really helpful book just to track with. Um, so I've got a few of those left, $15 a piece. So if you want one, see me after the service. And then also just a reminder, we have some printed outlines for the sermon in back. And the sermon outline is also available on the Bible app um, on your phone if you need that. So let's pray together and then we will move forward. Father God, we just uh, come before you on this uh, beautiful Colorado day. We're grateful for the seasons here, grateful for the variety, and grateful for a nice warm church that we can meet in. And I just thank you for all these people that are here and all these people that are watching online. And we just pray for your blessings, your guidance, your insight as we dig into this next section of Romans. And Lord, I just pray for Dan as he comes up to share with us. Um, just ask that you would anoint him and bless him as, as he preaches this word to us. Uh, we're just grateful for him and the work he's done this week on this message. And just pray that you would speak to our hearts and minds, Lord, through your Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to go ahead and dismiss kids now so kids can head out to the lobby for Sunday school. The rest of you can uh, greet one another and we will start back up in just a minute.
morning. back to your seats, that'd be great. Morning, Mark. Good morning, good to see you all. Thanks for making your way back. Well, as we continue on in this journey through the book of Romans, um, this next se section of scripture uh, is, was a little intimidating for me right up front, because if you look about any Bible, you get to Romans 1, verse 18, it says, the wrath of God. And um, I'm like, I don't know how Gus and Kevin get the grace and the faith, and I, I got to do the wrath of God. But really, the, the, the longer I spent in it and dug into it, the more I realized I get to talk about grace and faith just as much. Um, and it's the context and it's in light of that that we get to dig into this passage of scripture and really understand it. And um, the book that Sean mentioned from Warren Wiersbe, Be Right, he starts this section, it's kind of like a commentary when he gets to this verse 18, you know, he makes the comment something like, welcome to the courtroom of God. And that's really... Um, important for us to understand as we kind of move into this passage of scripture is we are moving into a place where we're understanding that there is a standard, that God does have a standard, that there is a courtroom experience for all mankind to be weighed upon. It is our righteousness based on him and his work and our belief and that we place in him. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. But there is a calling to account our lives and how we live our lives and that, that desire I think all of us have to that day when we pass from this life into eternal life in heaven in the presence of God that we would hear that well done my good and faithful servant and not be like I never knew you or I, I, I never had a real, what, what are you talking about? I, I never knew you as a child of mine. And he gives us this beautiful picture of how to walk and believe and place our faith where we can enter into that place in eternity when we pass from this life into the next and have it right with him. And I think it's good to understand the context overall as we, each time we approach uh, Romans and this book. It's been a fun book to go through. And, but we're just remembering from a high level that it's, it's the righteousness of God that's revealed to us. That's what we're looking at here. We're looking at his righteousness in comparison to our lack of righteousness and our lack of coming and standing before him and in need of a savior. And then he challenges us as we make that commitment, as we begin to follow him, that to be righteous, it's as he is righteous. We're invited into this and then we're justified by placing our faith like Kevin talked about last week, transferring our trust, placing our faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. And that word justified, a great way to remember what that means when you come across it in scriptures, just as if I've never sinned. That's how God sees us, justified, just as if you've never sinned when we transfer our trust and place our faith in Jesus Christ. Then he can look through that sacrifice of Jesus and be like, huh, 
you never sinned. I don't see your sin no more. I see my sacrifice, and you're holy as I am holy. But the beauty of this idea of faith and belief and transferring our trust over to him, it's, it's religions across the face of this earth are built on our good outweighing our bad, working our way up to some level in heaven, working our way up to God, working our way to this place where hopefully when we get to the end of this life here on earth, our good outweighs our bad. And that's not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches we're bad. We're born innately from the garden when sin entered the, the earth through Adam and Eve and mankind began to have a free will choice. We were at that point declared sinful. We come into this earth, you never have to teach a child how to do what's wrong. We just come into this earth doing that. You never have to. Kids figure that out immediately. How to be selfish and say, this is what I want, this is what I don't want. It's just how we come into this earth, right? But when we transfer our trust to him and we believe in Jesus and we put our faith there, we receive a free gift. And this free gift comes to us as salvation. Salvation from utter separation from God. It comes to us with grace. He accepts us with grace. He gives us the ability to give grace to others. And then we, give, we get complete forgiveness. So when we get this type of a gift that comes to us, this salvation, it's free. It's handed to us as, as you didn't do anything to deserve it. You didn't do anything to earn it. It's free. It's salvation. And then we get that grace that comes to us with grace and with hope, saying, it's nothing you can do. My grace is upon you. Now go give it to others. And then it comes to us with complete forgiveness. And this, this is sometimes the hardest to accept as human beings because we look at our past. We look at our sin. We look at our struggles. We look at the things that we're ashamed of from our past. And we say, but through Jesus, I'm completely forgiven. But then what really happens is we also are asked to live right. And this is the stumbling block that Paul is addressing in this next passage of Scripture. He's addressing this idea of because you've been given such a great gift of salvation, forgiveness, grace, now I'm challenging you to live as I would want you to live and live right. And I don't know what it is inside of human beings, because I'm one. Sometimes this scares me. Because I think, oh, what is that going to... What is that going to mean? When I, I remember thinking back when I was turning my life over to him 100% at 18 years old, and I remember thinking, do I have to give him everything? Is there things I can hang on to? Is there some of this living that feels good in the moment that I can just hang on to? And it becomes this stumbling block because we don't completely understand the power of our salvation and our grace and our forgiveness. And then we get stuck in this what does right living really look like? And that's where Paul is going. That's what he's addressing as we move through this passage of Scripture. And the problem is, related to right living, is this. We are sinners. We're born this way. We're in need of help from the beginning of time. It starts in the garden. Sin separates us, left us naked, ashamed, in need of a Savior. Old Testament stories of man doing what seemed right in their own eyes and God providing an avenue for repentance and sacrifice through the temple, the high priest's, to make that relationship right. If you begin in Genesis and start moving through, time and time and time again, God says, come back to me. Come back to me. 
come back. And he sets up a whole sacrificial system. He sets up the Ten Commandments that none of us can keep. Why? For our need and understanding that we need salvation. We need a Savior. We need someone to step in and give us that supernatural ability to live right and to be right in the sight of God, which has nothing to do with our own abilities, but it has everything to do with his sacrifice. This scripture is God's solution. And we always, Kevin brought this up last week, this idea of John 3.16. We've seen it our whole lives. We've seen it in the end zones. We've seen it everywhere. Everyone knows John 3.16. But as you take this into context and you keep going, he also is addressing this free gift of God sending his only son, but then the dilemma that we all have to face. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they did not believe in the name of the God his only son, and his only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. For whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that God so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has been done in the sight of God. God sent his son into the world to die for the world, for our sins. But there's a verdict, and it comes back to this right living. We have to wrestle with, can we continue in our sin? Can we continue in our old lifestyles? Can we continue living like the world says, just do what seems right in your own eyes and be right in the sight of God? The verdict is the light exposes that. And we as human beings don't like the light on our bad deeds. And we wrestle. And he's saying, I've got a solution for you. And that is transfer your trust, your belief over to God. Transferring one's trust is, is your total life. And I look back growing up in the church, I had lots of moments where I'm like, this seems right, this seems good. A good Sunday school class where I remember the teachers saying some things and I remember praying. But it wasn't until I got to my about 18, 17, 18 years old that I started to really wrestle with what does it mean to give him everything? What does it really mean to transfer my trust and my life over to him? And I had to wrestle with, is that a good move or a bad move for me? Deep down I knew it was good. But I, I had to wrestle again with, what am I going to have to give up? What's my life going to look like? And I'll tell you what, like, when you really get to that place and you, you let go and you give your life over completely, you realize you're wrestling with things that weren't necessary. Life can't get any better than being completely surrendered to our God and completely accepting that Christ paid that price for us and that sacrifice. Life becomes exciting, exhilarating. The, the, the benefits of living in his grace and salvation is greater than you could ever imagine. But we don't think that when the light is shining on our deeds. We think, oh man, this is this can be so hard to give up. And he's saying, no, it's, it's what I'm going to give you. I'll replace it, your life, with so much more, with so many gifts and blessings and relationships 
and opportunities to be a part of a magnificent plan, a plan that is designed to have impact here on earth, but greater have impact on heaven, in heaven. That we can live our lives in such a way as a part of his plan that we go one day and we look back and we think, your plan led all of us to God's plan for heaven and the future. And I look forward to that day. But just remembering our life, placing our life in hands as our Savior is not based on our performance. It's not the good outweighing the bad. But it's understanding that we want His light. Second problem we face, and this is probably more of us in this room than not. Some of you might be sitting in this room, you'd be like, I've never done that full transfer. Like, God does not have my life. I've not given him everything. I've not laid it all down. But others of you might be sitting here and saying, I did that. And you're like me, where you're like, I've done that. I've made that choice in my life. But here's the problem we face that I feel like Paul is also addressing in this passage as we dig into it. We can take for granted the grace that was given and accepted and return to our old ways of identifying with the world, ourselves, and our faith. We can return to old patterns in our lives before Christ. Sinful patterns, patterns that did not, does not bear good fruit. At the end of the day, you feel ashamed for those patterns. You're just like, and you're drudging through, and you know God's given you full grace, salvation, forgiveness, but you're, you found yourself back trapped. That happens. Or it might be you find yourself, you're not able to really see yourself through the eyes of God. And God identifies, he looks through the sacrifice of Jesus and he looks into your face and he says, you are justified, you're just as if you've never sinned, I have no condemnation on you, there's no shame upon you, and you say, but I have it. I have condemnation, I have shame, I feel all these things, and it's devastating. That's what he's really trying to address here, is what do we do with that? And I think it's really important just to understand kind of how God sees it. And his grace and mercy in the midst of it. So our passage today, let me read this for you. Romans 1, 18-25. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness, wickedness of people. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what they may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they never glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal humans, human beings, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires and their hearts, their hearts to sexual impurities for the degrading of their bodies with one another. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. So when you look at this passage of Scripture and you see the context Rome at that time and still today is such an epicenter of so many things. If you've personally been to Rome, you, you just, you're just blown away. And if I didn't have a contextual biblical worldview and walk through Rome, 
I would find myself being worshipful of the Sistine Chapel. I could stand there for hours and stare at that architecture and all of that art that's on the, wall, on the ceiling. And I could just become enamored with these artists and these builders. And I could just, I could put all my worship there if I had no context. And much of Rome is like that and was like that, where there was such art, there was such influence, there was so much creativity going on that people were beginning to put their trust and their faith in different saints, in different artists, in different statues, and they began to really create in their own image their God, which seemed beneficial to them. And I think that is what Paul is walking into as he's writing this letter. He's saying, there's all these things in my image, but I want you to remember the God of heaven and earth, and we're out without excuse. I woke up this morning, and we down in here, you're in the fog. We were above it this morning, and that was a view from our front porch this morning, and every stinking pine needle was covered with ice, and it was just gorgeous, and we were right above. This is the cloud level. You can see the mountains just above it, and there's blue skies above it, and and I just was thinking about this passage of Scripture and, and how, how nature itself tells us so much about God. Tells us so much about Him. It shows us His supernatural, incredible power. And for us to be so arrogant to think this just bang happened. And all this beauty just sprung out of nowhere. And not humble ourselves and say... The God of heaven and earth created this beauty we enjoy. Down to this, every little stinking pine needle was so beautiful. And you look at the magnificent creation when you hold a flower close to you and you look at it. Or you pick something off the ground and you look at how perfect it is. And think this just happened. And for somehow we just, we don't even need to worry about who this creator is or but he, he's made it all for our enjoyment. And as he goes through here in this passage, he says, people are without excuse. He has been revealed from the beginning of time. It said his invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature. Man is without excuse because of these things. And I think of this passage of scripture here from Psalms 19 this really says it well. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They have no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voices going out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises from one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. And you think about just the beauty of the sun coming up every day and going down and making its circuit. And you think that the heavens truly, the earth declares it declares who God is, and we are without excuse. In Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas are wrestling because the people want to worship them. And they're just like, folks, uh-uh, you're missing something here. Stop. And this is what they say to him. Friends, why are you doing this? They saw and see the miraculous things happening that Paul and Barnabas were involved with. 
Why are you doing this? Too many are only human. We too are only human, like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from your worthless things to the living God, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all the nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowds from sacrificing to them. Isn't that interesting? He, they're like, time out, folks. Like, look, look what God has made. Look at what the creator of heaven and earth has done. And you want to worship us? Uh-uh. That's not it. He said, at the end, they still want to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas because they just like, we are so starstruck. I mean, I, get, I just like laugh sometimes how starstruck we get. Like we see some great athlete on the street or something and like, I've done it. I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, do you know who that is? And, but then in the end, you're like, yeah, they still poop like I do. <laughs> I just had to say it, right? We're all just human beings. And in the end, only one of true value is God. He's the only one that we follow. Is knowing God enough? It says in verse 21, although they knew God, although they knew God, first, they did not give worship to the God of heaven and earth. They didn't glorify him as God. And that word glory, that glorify word, that means Giving him weighty authority. That's what the word glory means. It's weighty authority. That even though they knew of God, they did not give him the weight of his authority. And I think of like, he's our creator. And because of his invisible qualities, we often can look to the visible and say, your authority's not too weighty, God, in this decision. I'm going to allow my own authority to make this decision. Even though we know. We know what he's calling us to, even though we know God. Oftentimes, we don't worship him and give him that glory. He says, and they're not thankful for his grace, forgiveness, and sacrifice on their behalf. Isn't that so easy? To just become selfish, become self-centered, and not be grateful for that grace that was given us, that forgiveness, that sacrifice, that free gift we were talking about. And then it says, and their hearts and their minds became futile in thought. And I would like to say that's definitely the natural outcome of a self-centered life. I've been there. We start living self-centered. We quickly stop treating people well. We start thinking our stuff is more important than other people's stuff. We start getting completely self-centered that our agenda is the only true, meaningful agenda. There's all these things that we just... And it's just... It's natural for us. I, I wish it were not, but it is. It's natural for us to be self-centered. Back to children. They come out of the womb self-centered. It's natural. It's natural. But God wants us to understand that he has a different plan for us. He has a plan of not just knowing him. Knowing him is not enough. But giving him authority, giving him glory, giving him all the worship Let's do his name. And as we move into verses 22 and 23, it says they claim to be wise, but, and they worship is natural for God's creation, 
and easy to exchange it for something created rather than the creator. I believe, kind of coming back to the whole when we get starstruck on things, we're born to worship. We're born to go, oh. And I think it starts with our parents. You know, we're like, they're the ones that are like providing every bit of our sustenance when we come out of the womb. And all of a sudden, like, oh, mommy, daddy, I need them more than anything else. And we're born, we're drawn to what is above us that can help us as human beings. We're born to worship. We're born to ascribe worth to things that we feel are better than ourselves. And here he's saying, because of this, you start worshiping things that were created rather than the creator. And it's so easy to exchange that, isn't it? Isn't it so easy to just be like, man, I, I just think this object or this relationship or this whatever it might be is more important in my life than the creator of heaven and earth. It's a foolish versus a wise perspective. You know, it's so backwards when you look at like the kingdom of God. It's so backwards. There's this guy I've been struggling with lately that is officing near our office, and I've been just wrestling with this dude, and I, I have just wanted so bad to just put him in his place, and it has been ridiculous. And I'm, I'm in defense because he's been treating my employees really bad, and so I just really want to, like, let him have it. And every time I start going there and I start challenging and I start having conversations with him, I get more furious inside. And he gets more escalated. And I just have been wrestling with, where, where do I go with this? Because my human nature wants to go one place. And I, kept, I just keep saying, Lord, what, what are you doing? I know you value him just as much as you value my poise and value me. Like, what do I do with this? And it's been a great wrestle inside of me because my pride has a lot more going on. I got some words, baby. Like, I know exactly what I want to tell him. I also have done the math. This gentleman owns a restaurant, and I know how much money we've spent there. And this gentleman catered my birthday party. I know how much that money was. And see, I got my, I got my spreadsheet out. I'm ready to tell him, why, how dare you treat my people this way? And... God just keeps saying, I've got something else for you. Something else. And I, it's, it's so backwards. It's foolish. It's foolish. We have to wrestle with it. And I think it, it's, it's day in and day out we wrestle with this stuff. And I blew it yesterday. I was on the phone with a person that needed to come fix a CO2 leak for us. And it, was, it got so stinking ridiculous that I blew it. I, I just went off on her. And she hung up on me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, Dan. <laughs> like, it's like, isn't it, that wrestle goes on every day. It's every day. And the, and the foolishness of the kingdom of God is that we step back. We lay our pride down and we humble ourselves and say, I'm just in the middle of this with you, God. What do you want to do? How are you going to use me to share love and grace to this person I want to kick in the teeth. But it's true, isn't it? Isn't it? How do you wrestle with that? What do you do with it? 
And I think that's the foolishness that's so wise. Because in the world's eyes, it looks totally different. It's an eye for an eye, an ear for an ear. Let's, you get me, I get you. Let's, we're just going to stay on this even playing field. And God says, no, just, just go to the bottom. Let me deal with it. Keep responding as I would respond. Let me teach you through these hard times. And again, it's a daily thing. You might do great today because it's Sunday, but tomorrow it's going to be harder. Right? It's day in and day out. It's life. It's messy. But our worship is really key. He says, immortality exchanged for mortal worship, humans, birds. I think a Greek mythology. Think about how much worship has been ascribed over the centuries to animals and birds and reptiles and all these things that supposedly um, represent us when it's truly the God of heaven and earth that he's called us to. What is God's response in all this? This might sound harsh. It says God turned them over to their own desires. He said, therefore, God gave them over to their desires, their sinful desires. But I think it's really important to understand that is a picture of grace. Back to children again. As we're raising children, and you're teaching them to do something, and they keep doing the same thing wrong over and over. They keep going, say, don't touch the wood stove, it's hot. Don't touch the wood stove, it's hot. Don't. Eventually, you just got to shut up and let them touch the wood stove. It's love and logic. And all of a sudden, they're like, ah. You turn them over to make their own choice and let them face the consequence. God's doing us with that, doing that with us every day, isn't he? He's doing this, that with us every day. He, he did not create us to be puppets. He did not create us to just walk around on little strings and represent him and, oh, I want Dan to do this now and I want Dan to do that. No, he created us in relationship like the Trinity, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're equal, but one, they all play this part. They all have their roles. But together they're in unity and they choose best together and that's how he created us in his image both male and female, in his image, we, we build relationship one with another. We build relationship as human beings. And we give and we take, and it's a beautiful picture. And we have a free will choice with God that way too. He wants us to choose him. He didn't create us as puppets, so like, I just know Dan's going to choose me because uh, he can't do anything else. What kind of relationship is that? You want two people that choose one another to have a relationship. And that's what he's wrestling with here. So he's saying, I'm, I'm going to let human beings go, sin, do whatever you feel is right in your own eyes. But just know I'm doing that so you feel that pain. You face those consequences so you turn back around and come back into my loving arms. It's like the story of the prodigal son when he leaves and squanders all his father's wealth and he sees him coming back up the road and he throws a party. My son is home. Now, is that what we naturally want to do? No. We naturally want to say, what are you thinking, son? But God gives us a different way. He turns us over, gives us over to our sinful desires. Says they're exchanging sexual immorality and degrading their own bodies. They were making their natural lusts more important than what God had planned for them from the beginning of time. They were exchanging truth for a lie. Again, worshiping something that's created versus the creator. 
But I love how verse 25 ends. And this really kind of just capstones it for me. It says, he will forever be praised. That's how this section ends. It will not be based upon man's choice of right or wrong, but God's divine nature expressed through the Trinity, the Father, Jesus Christ, our sacrifice, and the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's what it's based upon. He will be forever praised. No matter what mankind decides to do, we run off and exchange things that we shouldn't exchange, and we build relationships we shouldn't build. We do what's wrong. In the end, he will be praised, and his grace and mercy and forgiveness is always available to us, and he's calling us back. And that's what Paul is doing. He's coming into Rome and he's saying, I'm writing you this letter to say, look what's happening. Stand back and see what's being exchanged for unnatural things that should be natural. Look at where they're worshiping created things and their statues of birds and reptiles and all these things. And what about me? Look, step back. I'm the creator of the very material that you sculpted that statue out of. I'm inviting you in there through my grace. Some closing thoughts for you. And I think there's two paths we can take as believers. When we look at a passage of scripture like this. There's a temptation if you're like doing really well right now. And you feel like, you know what? My patterns are good. I'm living right. I'm living well. I've got perspective there's a danger that we would turn into a place of judgment of others that don't live as God's standard, as we are, if we are co-pilots on God's throne. God, can you believe Donovan? Oh my gosh. You know, like, like the sense of like, we somehow get to stand on the throne with him and judge based on right and wrong. Like we have the, some kind of authority to put people in their place all the time. And that's where the whole kind of legalism has played its way out through Christianity for, for years and years and years. Where all of a sudden we're, we're, we're becoming judges together of, of what we think everybody else ought to be doing. And we forget that we, as the scripture says, we have a, we're taking splinters out of people's eyes and we have a log in our own eye. Can't even see clearly. Isn't that how things go so often? That's a temptation as we read scriptures like this, is to not humble ourselves and be like, God, I need you as much as a person that's struggling needs you right now. And it's not my place to lead them to salvation and do what's right. And slap them on the hand enough times where they'll do what's right. But it's the kindness of the Lord that leads people to repentance. It's that stepping in alongside and saying, man, I know you're struggling. I'm here with you. Whatever you need, I'm your friend. That's what he's calling us to. We're not here to be judges. Or the second place we go, and this one is key. I think there's many of you sitting in this room, you're stuck in this pattern. You're not sure how to get out of it. It's shame directed towards ourselves for past failure and sin that becomes condemnation. And we start to ignore the precious gift of forgiveness and grace. Well, you know deep down, if you've been following him for any length of time, you're forgiven. You've been given grace. You read these amazing passages like Romans 8 when we get to that. There is therefore no, no condemnation. None. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, because the law of the spirit of life has set you free from sin and death. 
We know that stuff. But we get caught in our stinking thinking and just this place where it just turns. And we live in shame and condemnation. And we can't forgive ourselves. I'd like to say this. Whether you're on the high horse with God judging people or you're living in a pattern of shame and condemnation, they're both sin and they're both pride. They're the exact same thing. There's no difference in them. Because to, to live in our patterns of shame and, and condemnation is saying, God, your sacrifice, your grace, your forgiveness is not good enough for me. I can't forgive myself. But you did, but I can't. So I'm still going to stand in a place of judgment. I'm going to say, what you threw the mallet down and said, you're justified. Just as if you've never sinned. No, not in my life. I'm living in shame. You see that? It's pride in both sides. One feels a little bit more lowly than the other, and one feels really judgy, and one feels lowly, but in the end, they're level. They're sin. Sean's going to dig into this next week, and how when Paul starts pointing out these sins that we as mankind start exchanging natural relationships for others, and we start moving through these lists of sins, sin is sin. God's judgment is God's judgment. There's no hierarchy. Some sins have more consequences than others. But in the end, we're either justified and seen through the vision of Jesus Christ or not. And we're either accepting that identity or not. And I think it's important that that's how we wrestle with this passage of Scripture, is make sure we don't get caught in these areas. Let me give you a few application points that will help you move away from these two areas. Pause, remember, and press in again to your need for a Savior today and forever. Knowledge is not enough. Life goes fast, y'all. It goes really fast. My dad used to always tell me, the older you get, the faster it goes. And I believe him now. Oh my gosh. I just like, wow, that, that year went just... Where it used to feel like life was a lot slower. Really, it's important in this fast-paced life to slow down, stop, pause. Give yourself a breather. And ask him to help you understand afresh what his grace really looks like. Remember, cry out, I'm in need of a Savior. When I look through the mirror of my struggle, my shame, my sins, ah, oh, man, I'm not going to condemn myself no more. I'm going to just remember, I need, that's why I need Jesus. That's why I need him. This whole thing of like, there's no hell in life, there's no, there's no, um, consequence for sin and God just loves everybody and there's no free will choice we have to make that's hogwash it takes away the very need for a savior in our lives God's whole story was based on sending Jesus they were waiting in the Old Testament looking forward to that final redemption that was going to come and we look back we see that's where Jesus came he died on that cross and he rose from the dead like no other person on the face of the earth could ever do no other gods they're all the rest of them are in the grave he rose again, gave us new life. And that new life is what we can look at and embrace. See, that's where the freedom is. Pause, reflect on these things. Next one is allow God's nature and perspective to release in you an empathy and care for the lost. People everywhere around us don't understand the beautiful gift of salvation. The beautiful grace, forgiveness that is given to mankind through Jesus. Don't get judgy with that. I hear Christians all the time start talking about 
all these bad things people do in the world, I'm like, what do you expect? Like, what do you expect? Do you, without Jesus, what do we expect? Like, if I didn't have Christ, I'd do bad things nonstop. But now I know. And we've got to build some empathy to be able to be like, wow, there's such a gift. There's a, there's a, there's a free gift that every person on the face of the earth needs to accept. Transfer their faith into his, his plan for their lives. Let this build some empathy in us. Let's not get judgy. Let's, let's come alongside people and invite them to understand that whole saying, you may be the only Jesus anybody ever sees today. What does that look like? You can, you can model what he would do. You can model that love, that grace, that forgiveness. It's actually really fun when someone really ticks you off to step back and come back to them opposite of what you want to do. And then it's always amazing how that grace and that relationship brings relationship and it brings a deeper relationship. It brings caring. It brings something that's, that's different than what I just want to go after someone because they wronged me. Building empathy. And last, definitely not least, worship your creator from the heart. Worship it releases a perspective that is supernatural versus earthly common knowledge. Think about this. If you walked into this room earlier today before I got up here to preach, and you had never had context in your life of a church service, of worship music, of Christians, and you just walked into this room, you'd think we're nuts. You're like, what are these people? They probably think you're worshiping Mike and Malia because they're just like, what? They're singing up here and you're all standing and some of you are doing this. And, like, think about it. Like, it's odd. But it's so amazing because you know if you've become a worshiper and you've given your life over, the more you put that worth on the Trinity, the more your perspective changes on the earth. And so understanding that worship releases something supernatural inside of us that we have to move into. And when we move into that, it changes our perspective. And all of a sudden, the way we go out of here, but we can't limit it to here. It's every day. It's day in and day out. It's, it's when you're heading to a tough meeting that you just need to pause and worship the Creator. It puts the meeting in perspective, I guarantee you. You're worried about maybe some harsh words that are going to happen during the meeting or how someone's going to accept your leadership or whatever it might be. And then you put that worship there and you, and you put your, your focus on the God of heaven and earth and you're like, it really doesn't matter what they think of me. It doesn't matter what, what, how this meeting goes today. I'm just going to represent you. Because in the end, it doesn't change just how he ended this scripture. All the praise and glory to him no matter what. So there's some application points. I hope that helps you to just kind of wrestle with this week, to move yourself towards him and uh, go that direction. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, the living God, the God of heaven and earth. Lord, we just thank you for being a part of our lives. We thank you that you chose us.
before the foundations of the earth and appointed us to go bear fruit, to make a difference in this earth. You've invited us into a, a plan, and I thank you for that. So, Lord, help us in our worship and in our lives as we walk through this week to put into context what it is you're all about. Lord, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Um, so, I was just scribbling notes like crazy during that sermon. So good. Um, and one thing I wrote down, I just felt like I should share, was when he was talking about shame versus judgment. I wrote down that shame is what comes when we forget the power of what he's done. And I circled power. And then judgment is when you forget the power of what he's done. So then I circled, he's done. I think that's just so true. And that's how the enemy sneaks in with the good news of the gospel. It's the power that changes us and transforms us and saves us, but it's what he's done. So as long as we have that healthy balance of right in between, that's when we're living in the good news and in a good place with us in the Lord. So I just want to pray over everybody and, uh, and then we can rock out. Lord God, I just, I just pray this over the congregation. I pray for those that struggle with shame. I pray, God, that they would just not forget the power of what you've done. God, your grace it's the unconditional, never-ending love for us. You knew exactly what you were doing when you died on that cross for each one of us. And the other side of grace is that you love us too much to leave us where we're at. God, I have this picture of, of us in a pit that we've dug ourselves down into. The digging was us just trying to get ourselves out on our own. That was us trying to climb, but little did we know we were just sinking deeper and deeper. But Jesus, then you came down into the pit. And you didn't just reach down and yank us out. You came down and sat with us, ministered to us, loved us where we are at. You love us too much to leave us in that pit. So Jesus, now you've taken us by the hand and you walk with us and help us climb out of this pit. And God, I pray for those here that struggle with judgment. Um, when we judge God, it, it uh, puts walls up in other people around us that they feel like we think we're better than them, so they don't want to receive what we have to say. But God, I just pray that 
those of us that struggle with judgment would remember is what you have done. So God, we just thank you. May we never forget the power of what you have done. And may this truth just go before us and help us to live righteously as you've commanded us in faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
sing that again as far as far as heights reach from the depths as far as east is from the west so far your grace has carried me until i see until i see you face to face until at last i won the race remind me you're not finished yet Hallelujah. 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 I'll live in
your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after. Sing that again, your goodness. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me.
God, thank you for running after us. God, thank you that you're a faster runner than we are. God, would you help us you help us to just allow ourselves to be caught by you? Those areas that we hold on to, those areas that you've forgiven, but we haven't forgiven ourselves. would you turn that shame into glory? that today, whatever that is you're holding on to. God, reveal those things to us as we continue in worship. And sing of the goodness of God. Help us to truly release those things.
God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing that ever really makes me want to change. No, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day. It's the only thing ever really makes me want to change. Oh, I don't want to abuse your grace. God, I need it every day.
God, help us to celebrate that forgiveness, to celebrate what you've done for us, to not think lightly of it or discount it with our shame. Help us to celebrate your forgiveness. We love you, Lord. Thank you for the freedom you've given us. Help us to walk in that freedom this week to be Jesus to those around us. Amen. Have a great week.